Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Question of the hour is, has your heart been changed by God? By heart, I mean the seat of your emotions. By heart, I mean the seat of your feelings. That is the heart. That heart needs to be changed. Why does it need to be changed? Because sin and death came into the world because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And when sin and death came into the world, it changed our hearts. So our hearts, instead of leaning and looking toward God, lean and look away from God. So that change has so much depth that it can only be corrected by the Lord God himself. My question to you today is, what is the condition of your heart? What is your feeling? What is your emotion toward God today? The condition of your heart determines your relationship with God. The condition of your heart determines your relationship with your family and your friends and your coworkers and your classmates. That's how critical the human heart is within this mind, body, uh, spirit experience that's called man. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, we have an example of what the human heart is capable of. In Acts 23, verse 11, we see that Paul is visited by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in protective custody in these verses. Two riots have broken out because Paul is in Jerusalem preaching Jesus Christ. And the Roman soldiers take Paul into custody for his own safety. The mob was beating him. They were pulling his beard. They were going to kill him. They were going to stone him to death. But then the Roman soldiers intervened and took him into custody for his safety. And while he's there, he's a little depressed. I would be too if I had just come out of two riots and been beaten half to death knowing that these people wanted my life. And our Lord appeared to him and said, Paul, be of good cheer. As thou hast testified of me, as you've witnessed of me and told people about me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. In other words, you're not going to die in this cell tonight. You've got work to do. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So these Jews are a member of a religious party called the Sadducees. You've heard about the Pharisees, where their counterparts were the Sadducees. So the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Sadducees did not believe in angels. The Sadducees did not believe in the spirit. Their counterparts, the Pharisees, like Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. They did believe in angels. They did believe in the spirit. So the Sadducees were upset. Why? Because Paul was preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They hated Paul, they hated Jesus, and they hated the message of Paul. Now, the Sadducees did not always walk around with that type of hatred in their heart. This was not some ruly mob, unruly mob that goes through the streets of Jerusalem every night looking who they can stone or, or beat to death. They were religious men. They believed in the teachings and the law of the Old Testament. They were family men. 
They had mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, wives. And in, in earthly or worldly terms, they were probably good men because they served on uh, the council, the high court called the Sanhedrin. But Paul's message about the resurrected Christ pricked their hearts and pricked their spirits to the place where they planned a conspiracy to commit murder. How much hatred must you have in your heart in order to plan murder? And that murder was going to take place within a 24-hour period. It wasn't a long, protracted plan. They were going to kill Paul in less than 24 hours. And they were so confident in their mission that they decided that I'll take a vow that I won't eat anything, I won't drink anything, until Paul lies bleeding in the streets of Jerusalem. That's pretty serious. Forty of them took that vow, the Bible says. And then they went to the chief priests and the elders in verse 14, and they told about uh, the vow about not eating anything until Paul was slain. The heart is an interesting place. A familiar verse is Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, where the, heart, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. These 40 men were deceived. If you met them on the street and you were a Sadducee, they greet you well, invite you over to their home, you know, for lunch, for you to go to the synagogue together and, and worship together. But when it came to Jesus Christ, that was the point of division, where they disregarded the Bible and leaned on their own heart and their feelings and their emotions. What's the condition of your heart today? How is your heart impacted by the world, by the flesh, by the devil? How is your condition in your relationship with God? Is your heart full of love toward God and gratefulness and thanks for forgiving your sin? Or is your heart in a state of rebellion against God, against uh, his word, and against his people? The unchanged heart is a deceitful place. So our emphasis this morning is, has your heart been changed by God? I've got three points I want to look at this morning concerning the heart. And we're going to talk again, once again, what's the spiritual condition of your heart? Today we'll look at three aspects of the human heart. First, the unconverted heart. Secondly, the converted heart. And thirdly, the testifying heart. The unconverted heart, the converted heart, and the testifying heart. Living in uh, America, we have uh, a number of distractions here when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to whether or not to trust Christ or not to trust Christ. There are places in the world that have distractions also. I, uh, I uh, subscribe to a magazine called Smithsonian. It comes out of the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. And it has American history in it, it has world history in it, in it, and all that sort of thing. So one article caught my attention in particular about a country called Croatia. So Croatia, you're familiar with it. Uh, it's right on the Adriatic Sea, and it's right across from Italy. So if you look at your map, it's Italy, Adriatic Sea, and uh, Croatia. And uh, in the southern part of Croatia, there's a city there named Vojnan, Vojnan, Croatia. 
And keeping in mind that Croatia is primarily a Roman Catholic country and there's a small minority of Bible-believing Christians who live there. So in Vojnan, there is a, one Roman Catholic church and there's a priest who's in charge of it. And in this church, there is uh, or are over 370 different Christian relics, Roman Catholic relics. What a relic is, is that if some saint died back in the 1500s and somebody got healed by touching the saint's body, then the bones became a relic. So people wanted to go around and collect these relics because they thought the relics have uh, supernatural power. Some other things that uh, the priest has in this little one-room church in Croatia, he has the baby blanket of Jesus. He has uh, a piece of the true cross that Christ was crucified on. He uh, has a piece of uh, the crown of thorns that was on, uh, like, your bro brother Sanko gets it. None of these things exist. But through the centuries, they were told that this is a piece of the crown of thorns from the head of Jesus Christ. They've got three mummies there. The mummies there are of saints or Christians who died uh, back in the 15th century, and uh, they're mummified. If you ever go to the Vatican, I've been there twice, they have a mummified body of a pope who died in the 15th century. He's just laying there. Looks like he, like he died yesterday. I don't know how they did it, but they did. And he's over there. So you have people whose hearts are religious. Obey the holy days of obligation, go to church uh, and mass regularly, uh, pray to the Virgin Mary, pray to the saints. And this is not a harangue against the Catholic Church in particular. It's a harangue against religion. How the heart of man can be distorted and changed spiritually by not having a proper relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Then you go 22 miles north from Vojnan to a, another little village called Kringa, and it's about 22 miles or, or so. And when you get to Kringa, what their claim to fame is is that they have the first, uh, uh, the grave of the first vampire in Europe. Uh, vampire, yeah. So before Bram Stoker wrote Dracula back in uh, the 1800s, you got this vampire running around Krinja, uh, uh, Croatia, terrorizing the village. And finally, the villagers said, we've had enough of this, you know, so they took care of business. But, uh, they, uh, so, but they idolized the grave. The grave is still there. So in the south, you got the Roman Catholics idolizing, idolizing uh, the relics. And up north, you've got uh, the unbelievers uh, idolizing the grave of the first vampire in, in Europe. That's the condition and state of the human heart. So we sit here as Christians in America, and we say, oh, yeah, boy, look at those crazy people over there, still living in the Middle Ages. Boy, how foolish they are, how ignorant they are, you know, not knowing that vampires aren't real, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until, until you look at our proclivities here in, in America. What do we uh, look at and idolize? And the list is almost endless. I like to start with astrology. It's always somebody who gets up in the morning, looks at astrology, and trusts uh, their zodiac sign to tell them what the influences of the stars and the moon and the sun are going to be on any particular day. And we idolize astrology to the point where we get tattoos not we, but they get tattoos on their arms. They, <laughs> hope you don't get a tattoo. Your brother Brooks, look at my, no, 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 don't do that. T-shirts, uh, tattoos, uh, piercings, you name it, all those sort of things, you know, that have, 
astrological connotations to it. And there was a time uh, uh, people would introduce themselves based on what their uh, zodiac sign was. And then you were supposed to figure out whether or not you were compatible with that person, you know, based on, well, I'm a Taurus, I'm a Virgo, yo, oh, I'm crazy, I'm a twin, whatever. So, <laughs> I, those were the days, yeah. So, uh, that's a, that was a big thing here in America, still is to a certain degree. But then the Bible says in Jeremiah that those who practice astrology will be put to death. They don't tell you that part. They don't tell you how the kings would have astrologers scooped up and executed if they got the uh, prediction wrong. They don't tell you that part. And then why does anybody want to worship the sun, the moon, and the stars instead of looking at the creator of the sun, the moon, and the stars? And then the Bible gets even deeper and says one day the creator of the sun, the moon, and the stars is going to wipe out the heavens in Isaiah chapter 65 and create another heaven and another earth. It's temporary. And then you go to, to, to Revelation, at the end of Revelation, what happens? Heaven and earth passes away, and God creates a new heaven and a new earth. But we have folks who, not trusting God through Jesus Christ, who will hold on to these uh, deceptions, spiritual deceptions. And then it's the agnostic and the atheist. The Bible in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. The fool has said, Bible word, in his heart, that there is no God. The atheist says, how can there be a God? How silly you are to believe such a thing. The agnostic says, well, hey man, I'm not sure, and I'm not gonna take time to find out. And then the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's not hard to see the sun rise in the east and set in the west. It's not hard to see the moon uh, uh, in, in its orbit around the earth. It's not hard to see the millions upon millions upon millions of galaxies out there coming back from the Hubble telescope. How did it get there? Oh, Big Bang, I got it. Oh, that's how it got there. Yeah, yeah one, one little molecule over here randomly moved through, through time and space, and boom, all of a sudden, you got Brother Sanko. <laughs> that's not how we got here as Brother Sanko. We got here because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how we got here. But then that takes me to the scientist. The scientist says, I, want to, I don't want to believe in God. I want to believe in empirical data. I want to believe in empirical evidence. I want, I want to believe in the facts as science leads me and guides me. So the scientist is sitting around trying to figure out what God did and how he did it. And in, in the arrogance that goes along with us, and I'm not anti-science, you know, if it wasn't for science, we wouldn't have a microwave. You know, that's just how, how these things go. <laughs> so science has its benefits. I wanted to be a chemist once upon a time. But I don't like the arrogance that goes along with it that we know more than God knows. I was watching a movie the other night. I like science fiction movies. And one of the characters was a scientist. And they were trying to figure out what was causing this virus. And it was getting bad on Earth. And one guy walks up to the scientist and says, I hope you believe in God. And the response was, I'm a scientist. <laughs> Man, you got problems, you know. <laughs> Things are falling apart here. And, and the go-to was, I am a scientist. Instead of, well, maybe, maybe you show me how to pray. You know, some, some, show some humility. But unbelievers write these things, you know. So that's what the message was, that uh, we don't have time to look for God, but we do have science. So that's 
the, among the deceptions that we face with here in America. You know, we look at Europe, we see, you know, Croatia, and we giggle about the vampires and, and pieces of the true cross and all the rest of that business. And just a point, you say, well, why, why couldn't it be a piece of the true cross? Well, the reason why is back in the Middle Ages, it was big business to sell pieces of the true cross. So I read someplace that if you collected all the pieces of the true cross that you could probably build about 30 different crosses. <laughs> so nobody knows where the true cross is. It's like trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. So what's the spiritual condition of your heart today? Once again, we're gonna look at three aspects of the human heart. The unconverted heart, the uh, converted heart, and the uh, testifying heart. We look at the uh, unconverted heart. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, I don't know if, uh, do we have the verses? Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, amen. Jesus is speaking, and he says, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the words of Jesus Christ. I don't see him saying out of, uh, for within, out of the heart of man comes love, peace, joy, spirit, happiness, etc., mercy, forgiveness, compassion. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that it's from you, inside of you, inside of you come uh, evil thoughts. We see that with the Sadducees who were planning to kill uh, Paul. From inside of you comes murders. We see that in our text. Adulteries, fornication, sex, cr sex crimes, thefts, false witness, lying, blasphemies. That's what the human heart, the unconverted human heart, is capable of. We like to think that there is something, you know, redeeming and wonderful about our hearts. Uh, we do good things, you know. If we have a, a neighbor who's shut in and can't uh, get out, uh, as a non-Christian, yeah, I'd, I'd go and, you know, buy some groceries or try to help people where I could, but that's just, you know, what you, you do towards your fellow man. But that's not going to save your soul. The good deeds aren't going to save your soul. That unconverted heart needs to be converted. That unconverted heart needs to be transformed. And that transformation does not take place through religion. That transformation does not take place through philosophy. That transformation does not take place through education. That transformation does not take place because you love your neighbor as yourself. That transformation takes place because you believe Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave. It's that simple. It's not Christ and your good works. It's not Christ and your education. It's not Christ and your worldview. It's not Christ and your philosophy. It's Jesus only. Boy, that's a complicated message. Jesus only. Oh, you mean I don't have to go door to door with a Jehovah's Witness Watchtower magazine and tell people about Jehovah? You mean I don't have to put on a white shirt, black pants, and a black tie and ride around on a bicycle and talk about Mormonism? You mean I don't have to go to a Scientology center, stand outside, wait for a spaceship to come and take me up into orbit so I can be clear of all my sins and all my weaknesses? You're telling me I don't have to pray the holy days of obligation? Are you telling me I don't have to go down to the beach on Sunday instead of being in church and meditate as the sun rises and as the sun sets? No, all you have to do is believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. Hallelujah! That's all that's necessary. Jesus only. And then, God the Father, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, will 
change that unconverted heart. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, the Bible says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That new heart comes from God. I can't emphasize that enough. It doesn't come from coming here to church every Sunday. It doesn't come from giving your, your tithes and your offerings every week. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Keeps the church moving in the right direction. Keeps the lights on. We get to send money to the missionaries, you know, so they can do the work of Jesus Christ out in the mission field. But those are works of righteousness. The Bible says not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, to God's mercy, he saves us. That's how that heart, that wicked, evil, deceitful heart is, is uh, converted. Bible says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Put it up one more time, brother. And renew a right spirit within me. It's God who creates the clean heart. Not because you are a good person. If you were a good person, then Christ would not have had to come down from heaven and die an ignominious death on the cross of Calvary. If you were a good person, then Christ would not have had to bear the tortures of evil, wicked men who beat him to the place where Isaiah says you couldn't recognize his face as being human. We see the nice, clean, pristine crucifixes of Christ hanging on the cross. And there's a little blood around the brow and a little blood uh, on the side and little blood dripping from the wrist and from the feet. When Christ hung on that cross, he was unrecognizable, Isaiah said, as being human. The Roman soldiers beat him to a pulp. He should have died when he was carrying the cross on the way to Calvary, but his work wasn't finished. They beat his back so badly that his ribs and his internal organs were showing through his back. The nails were like railroad spikes through his hands and through his feet. But he didn't whimper. He didn't beg. He was silent as a lamb going to the slaughter. Why? So you wouldn't have to do it. Christ took the blows. Christ took the torture. Because if he didn't, it would have been you. It would have been you. It's not hyperbole. When sin came and death came into the world, sin breaks God's law. And that law has to be paid for. And the only person that could pay the price of sin or for sin, for your sin, was the pure Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. You know the sins that separate you from God. Even if you're born again, you remember the sins that you repented of, or some sins you may have committed this morning on the way to church. You know, we, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What makes us different is that, what makes the Christian different is that the Christian has repented and believed. Still sinners, but we're sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect, but we're saved by grace. If there hasn't been a moment in your life where your heart has been converted by God, if there hasn't been a time where you ask Christ to forgive your sins and you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, 
then you need to do that today. If not, that's your cross. If not, that's your punishment. And the Bible, once again, make it clear that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't send people to hell. You send yourself to hell. Because you've heard the truth. I could stop right now, and that's all you need. Christ died on the cross for you. And all that's required is simple repentance and belief. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to preach in the choir. You don't have to do Sunday school work. None of that. Because we're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God. And that's how that heart is changed. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible makes it very clear. Paul says, repent ye therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So when Jesus comes, and he is coming, you want to be refreshed. You want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And how do you get there? It's in, the, in the Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Be transformed. Every man and woman in this room who is on their way to heaven at some time repented, turned away from sin, and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a very simple act. I can't tell you what to say, and I'm not going to tell you what to say. I can't tell you what to pray, and I'm not going to tell you what to pray. Because it's a transaction between you and God. Are you listening? It's a transaction between you and God. And all that's required is for you to have a conversation with God. And tell him what your need is. I'll tell you what your need is. You need a savior. That's what you need. You need somebody to save you from your sins. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't sing in the choir, none of that business. I didn't hear the gospel until I was 28 years old. And even then I had a false conversion. Uh, religious but lost, we say. So I wore a black suit, white shirt, black tie. I went to church for eight years with a big black Schofield Bible. They ordained me. I went to seminary. Uh, went to church uh, three times a week, went out door knocking on Saturday, and if I had died in my sins, I would have gone straight to hell. Because I trusted in the process, but I didn't trust in Jesus. And when I came to Christ, I was 41 years old. I was sitting on the front lawn of a house up in Hollywood, and a pastor, assistant pastor of the church said, Brother, you're not saved. This is how, uh, what the Bible says. And uh, he says, uh, Trust Christ, pray in your own words. And I did, <clears throat> and when I was finished, uh, I was a new man, saved, born again, and uh, never looked back. That can be your experience today. Maybe you've never heard the gospel before. It's simple, trust Christ. He died on the cross for you, he was buried, and he rose again from the grave. And the Bible says, repent ye therefore, and be converted. Converted means be transformed. Do I have to stop smoking? No. Do I have to stop drinking? No. Do I have to stop cursing? Nah. Do I have to stop being angry? Nah. <laughs> what? Whoa, 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 what? What kind of church is this? God will take it away. God will take it away. Started smoking when I was 17, Marlboro's. 
wanted to be one of the boys, wanted to fit in. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> wanted to fit in with the boys. So I'm smoking Marlboros. And, and when you're hanging out in high school, you know, a lot of stuff goes along with that. So I smoked all the way up until I first heard the gospel. But when I heard the gospel, I lost the desire to smoke. Same thing with drinking. My, dad, my father was alcoholic. Uh, my mother drank gin. Uh, I drank like a fish. However, woke up one morning, God took the taste right out of my mouth. Haven't looked back. Haven't had a desire. I, I like going to CVS, and don't do this, but you know when you go and they've got, they got the wine bottles in the aisles, and I'll, I'll dance down the aisle like that. Because <laughs> those days are gone. <laughs> those days are gone. God broke the chain. And some of you have that same testimony of the old nature, the old creature, what you like to do. And all of a sudden, when God breaks that chain, you know, you can stack it a mile high in front of you and you won't touch it. Why? Because the heart's been changed. The heart's been converted. That's what happens. You get a, you get a new life. So repent ye and believe. So we look at the uh, unconverted heart. We look at the uh, converted heart. <clears throat> the, the converted heart's uh, always most interesting to me. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It should pop up on the screen. Second Corinthians. Oh, why don't you turn with me there? That'll, that'll work. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. What we've been talking about. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. One more time. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation, that word means. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's good news. That's good news. Uh, every... Every January 1st, folks get up in the morning and say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. <laughs> Clean slate. I got 364 more days to go, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat better. Hey! I'm going to walk taller. Yes! <laughs> I'm going to be nice to the people. Hey, man! I'm going to exercise more. <laughs> got a witness. Gonna do all those things. Get me a gym membership. Take a few pounds off. Gonna give up pork. Gonna control my temper. And before the day is over, <laughs> that new leaf has turned the other way. Good morning. What do you mean, good morning? What do you mean by that? Put some extra candle, candy on that uh, banana split. <clears throat> Eating like a pig. We go back to it. Because we can't hold it in the flesh. We can't hold it in the flesh. Converted heart, old things pass away. All things become new. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 3. The Bible says, uh, 
and they, and being brought on their way by the church, they, that's uh, Paul and Barnabas, passed through Venice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So here's Paul, and here's Barnabas, and they're passing through the areas of Venice and Samaria, and they meet Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, and they tell the Jewish believers that Delphina got saved. Brother Price got saved. What, what do they have in common? They're Gentiles. They're not Jews. So when Gentiles started getting saved, Jewish believers got excited. They weren't angry about it. They were happy. They were happy that someone else had come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's what happens with a transformed heart. All the animosity and enmity that once existed between Jews and Gentiles went away in Jesus Christ. That's what happens when that heart is transformed. You know, we're going through this thing where we're told about, you know, racism and the color of the skin and all the rest of that business. I grew up in the late 60s, early 70s. I've heard all this stuff before. But as a Christian, what I look at is, do you belong to God through Jesus Christ? That's what makes us brothers and sisters. That's how I can sit down with uh, Korea and the Philippines, you know, and Mexico. That's how I can sit down. And what do we have in common? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then when you travel around the world and you meet a believer, doesn't even speak your language, but I speak their language, Jesus Christ. You ever look at somebody's eye and you see Jesus looking right back at you? If you haven't experienced that, come to Christ. <laughs> when people belong to the family of God, you know it. You know it. It's like you've known them all your life. So that's what happens with the converted heart. A transformation takes place, and with that transformation comes joy. The Jewish believers in uh, Venice were thrilled. They were jo joyful that Gentiles had come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And in Psalm 19, 17, 19 uh, verse 7, uh, wisdom comes along with it. Psalm 19, 7, the Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. This used to be a chorus back in the day. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Yeah, we used to sing that back in the day with some other songs. <clears throat> it makes the simple wise. That's what the Bible does. That's what converting and trusting Jesus Christ does. It makes wise the simple. Take Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was a rough-and-tumble kind of guy. Peter would punch you in the face in a heartbeat. You, what? Bang! Think I'm joking? See what he did with the knife? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Peter was a serious guy, you know. Not too complicated. He knew how to fish. You know, didn't know too much about, you know, quantum mechanics. But he could sit down and tell you about, you know, how to be the best fisherman. But if you got on his wrong side, lights out. And what did God do to him? Converted the heart. And you read first and second Peter, you see a changed man. <laughs> changed man. Transformed. I'm almost there. And then uh, Psalm 51, verse 13. What does the converted person do? Psalm 51, verse 13. Bible says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. That's what we do. On Saturdays, we go out and door knock and hand tracks to people, okay? Why? Because we're following the Bible. Our hearts are converted. That converted heart wants to get out and teach sinners the ways of God, that sinners would be converted to God. 
That's what that converted heart does. Thirdly and finally, uh, the testifying heart. <clears throat> uh, we want to get out and tell people about Christ. I'll only look at one verse, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 14. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. This is John the Apostle. He was a teenager when Jesus was crucified. Now he's an old man, probably in his late 60s, early 70s, about my age. And uh, John is uh, writing, and he says, uh, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We have seen and do testify. That's what the heart does. We testify. We don't sit on our hands and wait for Jesus to come back. You got to share the gospel. You got to testify. If you've got a changed heart, how can you hold it in? When God changes your heart through the work of Jesus Christ, you got to let somebody know. And that's what John is doing here. John was the only apostle at the foot of the cross when, when Jesus uh, was crucified. Everybody else split. They were in the wind, running for their lives. But the teenager was there. <laughs> the teenager was there. And he stayed faithful all the way through until his exile on the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of the Revelation. So if John has something to say about testifying, pay attention to what John says. John lived uh, a faithful uh, Christian life. So what's the condition of your heart today? Is it unconverted? I told you what you need to do. Is it converted? I told you what you should be doing. And are you testifying? We're here on Saturday morning, 9.30. Continental breakfast, can't beat the deal. <laughs> come, on, come on out, get something to eat, and then go out there and do some door knocking and share the gospel. Last, last illustration about a testifying heart. <clears throat> it was a Christian in uh, 107 AD by the name of Ignatius, Ignatius. Ignatius was uh, the bishop of a town called Antioch, and uh, he was arrested for being a Christian. It was illegal to be a Christian in 107 AD. So the Romans came, the Roman soldiers, they arrested him, and they were told to take him back to Rome. So Rome was 1,800 miles away. So they walked him from Antioch to Rome, Italy, 1,800 miles, all right? Along the way, Christians are coming out, they're giving him food, they're giving him paper and pen. So he actually wrote down uh, his thoughts during that 1,800 mile journey. So if you wanna read the books that he wrote, almost 2,000 years later, they're available. So he, they march him all the way to Rome. He knows he's going to be martyred. He knows it. The Colosseum was a big deal. Gladiator fights, wild beasts, all that stuff. So they finally got him to Rome, and they locked him up in a cell beneath the floor of the Colosseum. So underneath the floor of the Colosseum, they had uh, the bears, they had the lions, they had crocodiles, all these wild animals, and they had the gladiators there who were condemned to death, who had to fight in the arena until the death. So they kept Ignatius locked up. He could hear the combat in the floor above him. Sometimes blood would seep through the floor and the blood would come down. He, he had written all this stuff down. So blood came down through the floor. So he knew the violence that was taking place over his head and he knew that they were gonna come for him one of these days. So that day came. And uh, the Roman guards came and they took uh, Ignatius up to the arena, opened the great doors leading into the arena. 20,000 people all sitting there waiting to watch Ignatius die. So he walks out into the center of the arena. He faces the emperor and he holds his hands up and he begins to testify. 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 How Christ died for his sins, was buried, and rose from the grave. The floor of the arena 
of the Colosseum opened up and a lion came out of the hole. The lion weighed about 500, 600 pounds, full-grown male lion. You've, you've seen him, you know, very deadly. So the, so the uh, lion comes up out of the floor, and here's Ignatius still testifying Jesus Christ, still preaching Jesus. The arena is silent because they're waiting, waiting to see him die a bloody death. That's why they're there. They're not supporters. They're there to watch him die. The lion comes up out of the hole, walks around the arena, lays down. So Ignatius continues to preach Jesus. And then once he was finished, the lion stood up, walked over, and killed him with one blow. The guards came out and took Ignatius' body from the bloody arena floor, and it said that the Roman centurion that had captured him in Antioch and escorted him all the way to Rome trusted Jesus Christ and was himself later martyred from the testimony of Ignatius. And here we are 2,000 years later. You can still read his words uh, to this day. That's what a testifying heart does. None of us are going to face a 500-pound lion, hopefully, in the near future. But if it was your call, if it was your day, if there was a communist firing squad about to shoot the leadership of this church, or you, what would be your final words? Would it be, it is well with my soul? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul.